Uh, we are going through a 28-week series through the entire book of Acts. Uh, we started this series way back in May, uh, and we are doing one chapter per week for 28 weeks. Now, this is a, a daunting challenge. Uh, it's been interesting. It's been fascinating. I've had uh, quite a few people come up to me and be like, man, I had no idea there was so much stuff in the book of Acts. I had no idea that it was chock so full of good stuff. And it really is. And the reason that we are going through this series, and the series we're calling Unleashed, and the reason that we're going through this series uh, is to learn first century principles of how to live like Christians and how to be the church in the 21st century. So we're learning first century principles of church, doing church and being a Christian uh, that we can apply in the 21st century. So we've been going through this series now. This is week 21. So we are now three quarters of the way through the book. We've got one fourth of the book left to go. And uh, it gets the action gets intense uh, and starts this week uh, with the Apostle Paul. Um, and so we're in Acts chapter 21. If you brought a Bible, that's great. Turn to Acts 21. If you didn't bring a Bible, grab your phone. Uh, you can use a Bible app on your phone like Version or Bible Gateway or better yet, we have our own app here at GFCC. You can go to your app store and in 30 seconds, you can download the GFCC app by searching for GFCC in your app store. And you can keep track of the sermon notes. You can uh, get push notifications about things that are going on around here when you create an account. You can give your tithes and offerings. You can do all kinds of stuff with our app. Check out the weekly bulletin or the monthly newsletter. That's uh, We use our app for all kinds of stuff. So if you got a Bible, Acts 21, you want to use a Bible app, Acts 21, sermon app in the phone, you know, whatever you got to do to connect, that's what we want to do. So we're in Acts chapter 21. Um, we, now, all of the action in the book of Acts takes place in around uh, the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, and somebody said to me this week, they said, Sean, it would be very helpful for me if you could uh, show us a map of what this all looks like. And I haven't used a map uh, throughout this whole series. And I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to show a map. You know why? Because I am flexible. If you ask, oh man, <laughs> they're just laughing. It's not a joke. If you look in the dictionary next to the word flexibility, you see my picture. My wife is shaking her head. She does not agree that I am flex. I am Mr. Flexibility. I can bend over and touch my toes most days. No, I'm not that flexible. I'm really not. But I can show a map. And so here's a map. And maybe it's showing up on your screen there at home. Uh, so this is a map. This is where, this is Paul's third missionary journey. And so we are actually in the second part of it where it says, you see in the middle there where it says Ephesus, perhaps you can see that where it says Ephesus. This is where we start, is in Ephesus. And he's gonna go around the south side of Asia there, that's Asia Minor. And he's gonna head down across past Cyprus to Tyre, Ptolemus, Caesarea, and then on to Jerusalem. So this is where we're going. And the action picks up this week in the city of Tyre, okay? And the Apostle Paul, if you all remember, maybe you don't, but if you don't know who the Apostle Paul is, the Apostle Paul used to be known as Saul. He was a Jewish zealot known as a Pharisee, uh, and he was passionate about the law of Moses. So much so that anyone found violating the law of Moses and worshiping anyone other than the one true God, Paul was going to persecute and so when people turned away from the Jewish faith and started worshiping Jesus, the apostle Paul began to throw them into prison 
He began to oversee their deaths. The Bible says that he was breathing out murderous threats against the church. Murderous threats. And then everything changed. Everything changed when he had an encounter with the living Lord, Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that in just a second. So in Acts chapter 21, we get to the point where Paul is in the city of Tyre. And look at verse 4. It says, we sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now, here's something kind of strange. In Acts chapter 20, Paul said the, the Holy Spirit was compelling him to go to the city of Jerusalem. So in chapter 20, Paul says, the Holy Spirit is compelling me to go to the city of Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 21, it says, through the Spirit, the people of Tyre were compelling him not to go to Jerusalem. So is there a problem there? Is there a discrepancy? Why does the Holy Spirit tell Paul to go to Jerusalem in chapter 20, but chapter 21, people are telling him in the Spirit not to go? We have a human side, don't we? And sometimes what God wants isn't what we want. And so the Holy Spirit was compelling, was telling these people entire, he was telling them that Paul need, had to go to Jerusalem and their human side was urging him not to go. It was still the Holy Spirit's will for Paul to go to Jerusalem and the, and the faith that awaited him there. But the human side of the people of Tyre said, we love Paul. We don't want you to go there because we know what's going to happen to you there. So Paul leaves Tyre goes down around the coast and heads toward uh, Jerusalem. Uh, look in verse 10. So they get to the city of Caesarea, and this is what happens. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says... In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Now, if I'm up here preaching and somebody walks in and comes up on stage and takes my belt off of me, I've got a couple problems. First of all, why are you taking my belt off me? And secondly, I've lost 25 pounds. My pants are going to fall down. And now you've all got a big problem. So... This guy, Agabus, this prophet, comes and he takes Paul's belt off of him and he ties his hands and feet and says, this is what's going to happen. He ties his, his own hands and feet. This is what's going to happen to the owner of this belt when he goes to Jerusalem. And this saddens everybody. Look at verse 12. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Paul, you can't go to Jerusalem. They are going to bind you. They're going to arrest you. They are going to try you and they are going to kill you. They loved Paul. And they knew what was going to happen to him. I love Paul's response. I wish my response would be like this. Verse 13. Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. I am ready to die. For Jesus. I am ready to die for Jesus Christ. 
for the name of the Lord. I'm willing to die for. Remember way back in Acts chapter 6, 7, and 8, when we first get introduced to Paul in Acts chapter uh, 8, he's breathing out murderous threats against the church. He was going to kill people who worship Jesus. And something miraculous happened. He saw the Lord. He had an encounter with the risen Christ. He had an encounter with Jesus. And that changed everything. My friends, have you had an encounter with Jesus? Have you encountered the risen Christ? Have you encountered the living Lord Jesus Christ? Has he changed your life? Has he changed your heart? Has he changed your destiny? Has he changed everything? Because that's what Jesus does. He takes a persecutor and takes him and turns him into a cheerleader. Because Paul was the biggest persecutor of the church. He was Christian enemy number one. And then he comes out to to lead the, the cheerleading team. He has changed completely because he had an encounter with Jesus. You know, Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem, folks. I am going to Jerusalem. And it reminds me of Jesus' own journey to Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says this. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus knew the fate that awaited him in Jerusalem, and he set his eyes for Jerusalem, and he went straight toward Jerusalem. The the whole uh, last two-thirds of the book of, of Luke is how Jesus is on his journey to Jerusalem. So Jesus heads to Jerusalem, and just like Jesus, Paul also knows his fate awaits him in Jerusalem, and he goes to Jerusalem. So he gets there. He's greeted by the elders of the church. He's greeted by James. James was the brother of Jesus. He was the chief elder, the head elder at the church in Jerusalem. And the apostles are there and they're greeting Paul. This this all takes place about 25 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're about two and a half decades post-resurrection. And so the elders and the leaders of the church greet Paul, and and they begin to tell him, uh, Paul begins to tell them everything that's been going on in his ministry uh, for the last several years as he's been traveling about. Look at verse 20. It says, when they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. Well, there was a problem. There were people spreading lies about Paul. They said that Paul was telling the Jewish people not to observe Jewish customs anymore. He was telling them, don't circumcise your baby boys. Telling them not to observe certain uh, ceremonial rites of the Jews. And Paul never said those things. It was okay for them to do those, those, observe those Jewish customs and those Jewish rites Because they weren't trusting in them for salvation. They were trusting in Jesus for salvation. But see, the the elders and the apostles of the church at Jerusalem knew that by Paul's presence, there was going to be a problem. They were zealous for the law. They were passionate for the law. And they thought that Paul was trying to usurp the law. That Paul was saying, don't follow the law. And this angered the Jewish people of Jerusalem who were so dedicated to their customs 
and their rights and their law. So they tell him, there are four men who have taken a vow. It's called a Nazarite vow. It's a 30-day vow. Now, Paul is not going to be around long enough for, them, for him to do this 30-day vow. In fact, they were nearing the end of it. But they said, join them in their vow. At the end of the 30 days, they shave their heads. So the, there are seven days left in this vow. They do some purification rites. They shave their heads. They take the hair. They take it to the temple. They go through these purification rites. They offer a sacrifice. They show the hair to the priest there at the temple. And the thought is that, Paul, we're going to show them that you, are still, that you are not talking bad about the law. You're not talking bad against the Jewish faith. But rather, you know, you are still uh, a, a Jewish man. Okay? Verse 27. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. So they are so caught up in their building and they're so caught up in their customs. They're so caught up in their lineage that they can't see the truth. And they, they believe these lies about Paul. And so they grab him. They grab him, they arrest him, they uh, are going to kill him. They start beating him. Look at verse 30. The whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. So they grab him, they drag him out of the temple, they shut the gates to the temple so nobody can get in and nobody can get out. Verse 31. While they were trying to kill him, so they are going to beat him to death. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. The whole city of Jerusalem is losing their minds over Paul. They are angry. They are taking mob action. And they are beating Paul to death. The commander of the Roman army there in Jerusalem comes running to the temple. And uh, he grabs Paul and, and orders that he be taken to the barracks. Uh, look at verse 35. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. It reminds me of a passage in the book of Luke where Jesus is on trial for his life. And the crowd says something very similar. They don't say get rid of him, but they say give us Barabbas away with him. The parallels between what happens to Jesus and what happens to Paul are quite similar and quite striking. So Paul is dragged into the barracks and the commander of the Roman ar army comes inside the barracks where Paul is. And Paul says to him in Greek, may I say something to the crowd? And the commander of the army thinks this is strange. He thought Paul was a, a Jewish man, and, and now he's speaking Greek, like, proficiently. Paul, uh, the commander of the army, says, aren't you the Egyptian who, like, caused an uprising with, like, 4,000 men out in the wilderness some time ago? Josephus, the historian, 
tells of a time when there was an Egyptian uprising uh, in Jerusalem, and 30,000 people were flocking to this uh, Egyptian, and they were going to overthrow the Romans uh, in Jerusalem. But turns out, the uh, Roman army put a stop to that. But the Egyptian escaped. And so the commander of the Roman army thinks that this is the Egyptian coming back. Paul says, no, I'm a Jew from Tarsus. He says, I just want to talk to the crowd. So he gives him permission and he gets up and he begins to speak in Aramaic. And we will pick up the story there next week in Acts chapter 22. But for the balance of our time, I have a couple questions for you tonight. For you, whether you are watching online or you're here in the worship center, I have a couple questions for you. Based on Paul's response, closer to the beginning of the chapter, when he was in Tyre, and when the people said, we don't want you to go. And, and Paul said, I'm willing not only to be bound, but I'm willing to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. My first question for you is this, would you be willing to die for Jesus Christ? Would you be willing to die for Jesus Christ? Would you lay down your life for Jesus? If it cost you your life, would you die for Jesus? Would you die for the one who died for you? Now see, that question, maybe for some of us, would be a no-brainer. Of course I would die for Jesus. He died for me. He gave his life for me. You know, the Bible says that you know, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And that everlasting life thing is a good thing. And so if I had to die for Jesus, I would die for Jesus. Whatever they did to me, I would die for Jesus Christ. And maybe you would stand up tonight and say, yes, I would die for Jesus. I would lay down my life for the one who laid down his life for me. Whether it's firing squad, hanging, whatever they got to do to me, I would die for Jesus. Wow, that's great passion, dedication, devotion. Problem is that's a one-time event. It's easy to say I would die for Jesus because I know what's on the other side. I would die for Jesus. Yeah. Because I know I'm going to heaven right after that. Second question is a little harder. You may not like this one as much. You may not be able to answer this one as easily. This one may require a little more thought. Are you living for Jesus Christ? Oh, it's easy to say I would die for Jesus. Again, because you know you're going to heaven on the other side of that. Are you living for Jesus Christ? That's the harder question. Because that's a daily thing. That's like every day living for Jesus. Moment by moment, minute by minute, hour by hour, day after day after day. Here's what living for Jesus requires. Living for Jesus requires daily death. Now, what do I mean by that? Living for Jesus requires daily death. It's a daily death. A daily, death, a daily death to selfishness. Oh, we can be pretty selfish, can't we? We like ourselves. I like myself. What's not to like? That was a joke. 
And nobody left. And you're like, no, you're right. You are awesome. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much. It is Pastor Appreciation Month, and I suppose that that should be the case. No. Um, tell me how awesome I am, please. Let's go. Yeah, thank you. Living for Jesus requires daily death. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, this is what Jesus said. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross, how often? And follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves daily, take up their cross daily, follow me daily. And and do you know what happens on a cross? Death. So when Jesus says, take up your cross daily, he says, die to yourself daily. Die to your selfish desires daily. Die to your self-centeredness daily. Die to your selfish whims daily. Your selfish preferences, your, 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 self, your selfish desires, anything to do with the self, you have to deny yourself daily. Die to yourself daily. Are you living for Jesus? It's easy to say, yes, I would die for Jesus. Are you living for him? Meaning, are you willing to die on a daily basis to the things that you want, to the things that you prefer? Are you willing to die daily in your marriage? Are you willing to die daily? And some of you are like, oh yeah. That's not what I mean. Are you willing to die daily to the things that you are doing that are sabotaging your marriage? Are you willing to die to those things daily? Are you willing to die to your selfish desires daily when it comes to raising your kids, when it comes to your grandkids, when it comes to your parents? Are you willing to die to yourself daily? When it comes to your work, are you willing to lay down yourself daily? When it comes to your church, are you willing to die daily? Living for Jesus is hard it is not easy to be a fully devoted sold out follower of jesus christ oh it's easy to come to church even in a pandemic it can be pretty easy you go in get your little check mark little star on your attendance chart in heaven i went to church this week i'm a good christian oh i i read my bible five minutes a day every day this week i'm a good christian I prayed three times a day. Star, star, star. I'm a good Christian. But my attitude stinks. My selfishness, raging. My temper, (laughs) oh, that hits a little bit close to home now, doesn't it? Starting to get there. My lust, Got to die to it daily. My pride, my arrogance, my conceited self-centeredness, die, die, die. Being a Christian is not easy. It is the hard road. It is the tough path. It is the narrow road that leads to the narrow gate, but it leads to life and life eternal, and life fulfilled. Because life with Jesus is the only fulfilling life that you will ever find. Everything else is a mere imitation. Everything else is a cheap copycat. 
It is only through Jesus Christ that we can truly have life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to get to heaven except through me. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. And if you're trying to find life anywhere else, if you're trying to get a life anywhere else, you are not going to find life that truly is life. And the only way to find that life is to deny yourself daily, take up your cross daily, die to yourself daily, follow Jesus daily. That's how you find life. Are you ready to die. Paul was. And he did. Every. Single. 